0: Hello and welcome to the Radical Reformers podcast. I'm Andrew Laird. This podcast is for people who want to understand what it really takes to make a positive impact in public services. It features leaders from councils, the NHS, central government, charities and social enterprises, as well as think tanks and social investors. This is about policy and the implementation of policy and the grit and determination it takes to, to run successful public services. It's not about politics. Politics does not feature at all and the discussions are all the better for it. It's also about the stories and personal journeys of the leaders I speak to, the challenges they faced and the lessons they've learned. Running and reforming public services is incredibly difficult and I'm very grateful to these inspiring leaders for taking the time to share with others. So, before we get into it, I just want to take a second to thank my friends and colleagues at Mutual Ventures for supporting me to do this podcast. My day job at Mutual Ventures is about supporting public services to be better, more sustainable, and more connected to communities. This means working with central government departments to help them build bridges between policy development and local implementation. It means working with councils to help them plan for the future. And it also means working with NHS trusts to help them find their place in the new health and care system. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and that you get as much from it as I have. And don't forget to subscribe on the website or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter to make sure that you never miss a future episode. And you might even want to go back and listen to some of the older ones. This episode is with Kev Henman, who's the chief executive of the youth work charity Space, which is based in Devon. It's safe to say we are huge fans of Kev in Mutual Ventures. Space supports young people to learn, create and realise their potential. And it's really to this podcast's detriment that we haven't had a youth service leader as a guest before. And I'm delighted to correct that omission with such an inspiring, authentic leader. I know a lot of people talk about having lived experience, but Kev has real lived experience, which he brings to bear in this role. Uh, We discussed the formation of space six years ago when it moved from the Council to Independence, and we talk about how the service has grown both in terms of what it does to support young people and where it operates geographically. As you can imagine, Kev has views about the pressure young people are under today and the important role youth centres can play in providing a safe, welcoming place for those who might otherwise lose their way. Kev is a values-driven person, and he describes the importance of listening to what young people have to say, especially about things which affect them. And he also has strong views on not letting crippling risk aversion stop you giving people who could do real good a second chance. It's a fantastic discussion. I really enjoyed it and I hope you will too. Kev, a very warm welcome onto the podcast. Um, I'm really delighted to have the opportunity to speak with you. I was reflecting when we spoke last week that I hadn't um, spoken to anybody with a focus on youth services and the challenges facing young people, so it's a real pleasure to have you on on the podcast. Um, I wonder if I could start by just getting you to say a little bit about who you are.
1: Okay, well, I'm... Uh Thanks for inviting me on, Andrew. I'm Kev Henman. I'm the CEO currently of Space Youth Services, based predominantly in Devon. Um, We're a public services mutual, um, which span out of the local authority nearly six years ago to try and maintain the quality and standard of services that we were previously operating within the local authority.
0: Very good. And just to, um, to remind people. So people who've been listening to the podcast will be familiar with the concept of a public service mutual because some of the other guests are fellow founder CEOs like yourself of organizations which have spun out. So these are organizations that have formerly been in-house services within a council and between the staff members and the leaders and the council themselves have made the decision to move the organization and the service out into an independent staff owned social enterprise so that's something which you did six years ago i think you said
1: yeah that's something we did in um, 2016 and we started trading in 2017 and i think there was various talks at the time about which sort of model we'd set up as you know we are a charity and we are a company limited by guarantee but the idea of having a, a being a public service mutual means that actually the staff have a significant say in the organization and the direction of it and they're great anchors to ensure that the leaders don't go off in tangent directions and that we stick to our values and our mission so that's why we are proud to be a public services mutual
0: fantastic and i want to come back to what space does in a second but first of all um i'd (laughs) like to just talk a little bit about you and how you got into doing youth work where did that all start for you
1: well i didn't know what a youth club was or a youth worker was while i was at school but i was in a i was in a boarding institution in the middle of the Contock hills in somerset um when I was growing up, so didn't see much of the outside world, and it, it wasn't the wasn't the most productive of environments to grow up in. Um, on reflection, but it meant that I got into a, a bit of bother, and um, eventually ended up being excluded from further education. Ended up in court, and. Um, it was when I got sent back home to live with my parents that my sister started um, saying, you need to come to the youth club. They they play the music that you like and stuff. And I was angry. I had a record. I was using substances at the time and wasn't really into it. But eventually she got me to this club. And this bloody youth worker just kept putting his face in, in my way and checking me out and asking what I was good at, what I wanted to do. One day he asked me, because he knew I was... He'd, been told I was really good at playing table tennis to help this young lad who couldn't hold a table tennis bat properly and um, I begrudgingly went and helped this lad and just seeing this lad's face light up when he could start having a rally with me and then he came up to me at the end of the night and I was about 17 at the time and he said can you come in on Tuesday and help me again and that was the start of my youth work journey really. Fantastic,
0: wow and and then so how did that how how did that evolve then? Because you're you're obviously at the top of the
1: profession now, but how how did you get there? I think with many youth workers, they start by volunteering. You know, they they're putting something back in, and everyone's got sets of skills and, and and attitudes that can enrich young people's lives. So, you know, soon I found myself volunteering four evenings a week alongside my day job, which was labouring and cutting grass um i mean that's a big
0: commitment anybody who does volunteering four days a week that's four evenings a week that that's
1: a chunk of your time yeah and i think in hindsight it was doing me as much good as anyone else because it was keeping me with a sense of purpose i was still a young person myself and we find that with a lot of the young people that we employ now um you start off volunteering then they get hooked on it the the sort of giving back bit and um then they become peer educators and youth apprentices and and find some some meaningful employment with us but yeah and from there after about five years of doing that i just made the decision right i'm going to go to manchester and get tra- trained for this properly so that's what i did i up sticks and went to manchester polytechnic and got my little certificate
0: and then did you so you you're obviously very closely associated with devon
1: no, was it always Devon or did you start somewhere else? No, started in Manchester and then um after a couple of years went to Somerset and worked there for about six years. That's um it was at a time when my father passed away and my mother was from Somerset, so I moved back down there. And then you sort of get get a feel for the West Country. It's such a glorious place to be. But um yeah. that job came up in Devon in nineteen ninety six, I think it was. And just work my way through the system, then to to where we are now. Fantastic! No, it's
0: a really inspiring story, and I loved how it started with just that one that one kid asking for help, and all of a sudden the penny dropping with you that this is rewarding for both that kid and you as well. I think that's just re- really inspiring. I think a lot of people I speak to have a have, have a moment like that, which they kind of realise this is what I'm supposed to do. So let's talk a little bit about space now. So this is the service that you run and have done uh, within the council and now as an independent charity, which is very engaging with the staff, etc. So what does space do? So for people, and unfortunately, there will be people out there who won't really know what a
1: youth service actually does. What What services do you provide? OK, so I think one of the worst things about our profession is that we're not very good at explaining what we do. So I'll give it a bit of a go here. Yeah. Um, I mean, the reason we set up space is because because of the austerity cuts coming through from 2010, 11, 12, 13. And the council had a decision to make in 2014. And that decision was to get rid of all the youth centres in Devon. There was 36 at the time. Um, and to use the resource in social care um, and it was at that point that myself and and a few others said well for this reduced budget you can still get a community-based provision in local communities that are offering evening and weekend open access to anyone youth services and support um, and that's when the council went for it so so we ended up with um nine youth centers now from that 36 but there's, there's one in each district area of Devon. Those centres are like community hubs for young people. They're, they're, there's a sense of ownership by young people on those centres. Um, and it, they provide anything from three or four evenings, open access, youth club type facilities, just, um, I don't like the phrase positive activities much, but it's like active engagement with something that means something to them. We've got, you know, recording studios and creative hubs where they can do 3D printing and they oh, wow. can do drama. They can they can just chill with a youth worker and with their mates. It's a safe space. Um, from there, we we do social action projects and um, we run trips and visits, particularly during the school holidays and, we, we you know, take kids out camping. There's a, actually there's some kids in Exeter last summer that our school took to the Devon County show and two of the young people in Exeter had never seen a live cow before. Wow. So, uh, and that's in Devon. Uh, on top of those trips and visits and just general social, um, free association with their peers, we we target down on those young people that we find out have particular needs and provide sort of targeted support for them. Um, that'll be one-to-one stuff with, with a youth worker looking at, you know, why they're not turning up at school, looking at why they keep getting into fires, looking at why they're self-harming. Um, yeah. And from there, we, we got the relationships to signpost those young people when it's, when it's something that becomes a bit beyond our, our specialisms. Um, so there, there's that. There's, we run social prescribing services with local GPs. So sort of low-level referral from GP surgery okay. just to land young people into community-based support. We, During the pandemic, we just developed a digital platform which is accessible to young people right across Devon. Um, and it's almost like an online youth club with little breakout rooms that they can have one-to-one chats with a youth worker and go online if they need to. Yeah. We run an independent school, which we categorically don't take young people on roll um, we take young people for 6 8 12 weeks at a time and then rebuild their confidence uh, solve some of the issues that are their blockages to education and reintegrate them into mainstream education really proud of that, that, that facility. that's
0: really interesting Kev just just to put it on a, you probably don't like this term but is is that a is that like a pupil referral unit well, or is that you, different
1: it's, <clears throat> it's a form of alternative education. Okay. Pupil referral unit will have young people on role and what we've tended to find is that wherever you've got young people on role that are complex, it's, um, quite often they're, they're there for longer than they need to be. Um, yeah. so it's almost like the education authorities can find somewhere, right, we've taken care of Jamie now. That's where she's going to be educated and it might not be the right place, but they, so we're quite determined not to go down that road, even though we'd get more resources if we did. Um, this is all about reconnecting those young people. Back that, into- that's
0: amazing. That particular service is amazing. I mean, that your your description there has gone all of a sudden from it being a space where people can meet, where there's activities, there's some things organized to, to actually taking responsibility for children of a school age for a certain period of time. I mean, that that's massive
1: yeah and the schools the schools purchase that service from us but it's it's that sort of blended approach which most mainstream schools don't get blended approach between the formal academic and the teacher approach and the youth work pastoral and support approach that tends to work um in a more holistic way rather than just pushing them towards these five gcses and yeah. Achieving in maths and English. I mean, if kids haven't got the confidence or they got the distractions at home, um, they're not going to learn too much. Um, so is no, it is that getting them interested?
0: Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a fantastic <clears> explanation <throat> of what space does. And I think will be extremely interesting for a lot of the listeners. But, um, I want to just talk a little bit about how you've grown the organization because you started in Devon, but you're now operating outside of Devon as well. Isn't that right?
1: Yeah, we've just, just started moving beyond the borders of Devon. And I think the first thing we did when we established was to ensure that we had the partnerships in place that were meaningful and trustful. And we, we, we've got a mantra in most, and we're proud of it. It's like collaboration over competition at every opportunity. So we're not someone who's trying to sweep up contracts for, that others have got. If they're doing a decent job and, and, you know, then we'll do what we can to support them. But, through, I think we've grown a reputation as much as the delivery end of what we do. Um, but you're right. Recently, we've secured a contract with the Police and Crime Commissioner to deliver what we call assertive outreach. What the Police and Crime Commissioner would probably hope was mopping up antisocial behaviour in some of Devon Cornwall's Plymouth communities. But um, So we're heading up that partnership with Young People Cornwall, Young Devon and Torbay Youth Trust um, and sending teams of youth workers out into known hotspots and just trying to diffuse situations, trying to plug them into into other local provision, whether that's a drama group, a football club or or setting up uh, their own youth group. So, yeah, I think um, we are delivering outside of Devon. And there's other examples during the pandemic when we we were one of the first to set up a um, a discord digital platform. And one of our one of my leadership team ended up sort of showcasing that and assisting with over a 100 different youth organizations around the country at the time. Wow. So um, and many of them have set up better platforms than we've got now. They've got different resources, but it's great that you you share that knowledge and understanding and. By doing that, I think people come to you and trust you. And that's that's how that's part of what makes space what it is, in my view. No, indeed. And what you've done
0: with space is an example to other parts of the country of as to what a youth service can achieve, um, even with budgets reducing and just looking for those different commissioners. And And I, I think it's, it's a real example, which you should be really proud of. And when we spoke um, last time, you mentioned that you're. Retiring now as well. So, um, what, what's next? I mean, I'm sure a break to begin with.
1: Um, definitely a break. Um, it was interesting seeing Jacinta Arden the other day is someone I, I do look up to immensely. Mm. Um, and at the age of 42, she said, I just haven't got it in the tank anymore. Um, you know, I'm nearly 60, so I've been doing it since I was 17. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I know I won't be sat idle, but, um, yeah. No, I mean, look, there's, there's,
0: there's going to be no shortage of demands on your time, certainly. And, um, yeah, I, I think you, a well deserved short break, probably just to recharge the batteries a bit is probably the thing. But you, you're right about Jacinda Ardern. I mean, um, without even getting into, uh, what she's done or the decisions that she's made, which I know people have opinions on that ability to st- step back and say, look, you know, I haven't got it in in the tank anymore. you just I'm not sure we'd see that from many of our politicians, unfortunately, yeah, anyway, we're not going to get into all of that so um kev, I want to ask you a little bit about the challenges facing young people now because um i mean i I often say to, to people in conversation that I'm really glad I was young way back when I was because <laughs> young young people's lives now just seem incredibly complex and pressurised with social media and lack of opportunity somehow can you describe to me some of the challenges faced by the young people you support i
1: was watching the news this morning and emily attack was on there in in terms of um she's got this documentary on this week about how young women are bombarded with this misogynistic vileness on a daily basis and it's 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 overt. It's almost it is commonplace for most young people. And I think that sort of social media um, intrusion into young people's lives is something that you and I never had when we were growing up. And I think I've explained that, you know, my childhood wasn't straightforward and it had its complexities. But um I think 24 seven pressure is really difficult for young people. Pressure to conform is really difficult for young people. Being able to speak about mental health more openly often reveals more mental health issues. Um, They've always been there. But I think in today's society that there's post pandemic, young people are experiencing a a lot more anxiety and fear. and many of them have found it hard to readjust because what we tended to do was uh, during the pandemic, we entered this surreal world of online learning and, and not having physical contact with other human beings. And then it's almost once the, the curtain was lifted again, most of the services that work with young people went back to normal. And there isn't a normal so um readjusting after two years to go back into classrooms um, without the restrictions, a lot of young people found that really difficult and yeah. we're finding now that uh, you know a year on there's young people are exhibiting more anxiety, aggression, and um, in, some, in some cases more violence than we 've experienced before as as experienced youth workers they 've got accentuated health needs, and that puts more pressures on um, CAM services and others. So I think the system needs to reset itself around the needs of young people rather than assuming that young people will fit into the system that was there before. Yeah.
0: And you were um, just speaking about young people and the system fitting (laughs) into to how they think and taking appreciation of their opinions. You were kind enough to lend a supportive comment to an article by one of my new colleagues at Mutual Ventures, Hannah Jaspansky, about the importance of paying proper attention to young people's voices and opinions. And that being uh, the case, especially when decisions are being made, which impact them. And I know this is something that is very important to
1: you. I think there's a sort of uniqueness about the work that we do is that most agencies start when they work with young people they start with an agenda or they start with the problem so if you're a school your agenda is to get the highest academic grades and get them set up for employment etc if you're a youth justice service it's to get them through their order and keep them out of court if you're a social worker it's dealing with the problems they're exhibiting what we try and do is start with the young person whatever their issues whatever their background is, start with the young person but listen And here. And they're two different things, you know. Yes, they are. They are. Tokenistically, we can say, well, we put a survey out and asked young people what they wanted. Well, that's that's part of it. If we asked all the young people who turned up to the youth service, what do you want us to put on for you? Ninety percent of them would say, take me to a Premier League match or take me to Alton Towers. Now, that might be viable and it might be good, but it's, it's not what they need so much. It's what they want. And so, actually, working through what the needs are with young people, um, whether it's through survey through you know guided conversations, is really important and when, as commissioners or people in position of influence and power, we hear things that we don't necessarily agree with we've got to hear those things. we can't be saying well I, I, you can't pick and choose young people are the are the owners of their life experience and needs, and it's a bit about. Treating them with the respect that we expect to be treated with and truly hear what what they're saying. And it's not a fine art. It's not um it's not mystical. It's just common sense and courtesy as far as yeah. we're concerned.
0: So I, I think that's a very interesting point you've made about engaging with people, but not just necessarily going along with what they say they want which, as you say, for a young person could be going to a concert or a football match or something and actually engaging them in a meaningful conversation to help them understand what they need and get an agreement from them that, right, okay, we agree that this is what you need. I think that 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 is a real skill. And I know you said it's not it's it's not mystical or whatever, but it is something that requires more effort than Either just you deciding what you think someone needs or asking them and just immediately going with
1: what they think they, they want. I think you're right. And um, I still maintain that if, if we treated young people with the same courtesies we treated most other adults that we meet, then we'd get a lot further for young people. But yes, yeah, that, that, the word you use there, Andrew, is agreement. And it's like, you know, this is all on young people's terms. They turn up to our services voluntarily. And that's the yeah. other thing about, you know, they have to go to school. They have to go to their yacht worker. They have to go to their social worker. They choose to turn up and there's a reason for that. It's, um, yeah. cause you give them a sense of ownership and empowerment that nothing's going to be forced on them. And if it is forced on them, they won't turn up again. So it's, that's a simple mantra for, for our staff group. Yeah.
0: And just, Thinking about some of the young people you you've helped, I mean, I'm sure you've got some great examples of
1: how the space service has, has really helped people. It's it's wide and it's varied. So there's there's young people working for us now in full time jobs that only three years ago were too scared to go to a youth centre, and they're wow. running sessions. Um, the the deputy head of the school that we run was a 15 year old lad um when i started in devon comprehensively dyslexic and had hearing difficulties and you know um he won't mind me saying that he had a complex childhood and now he's the deputy head in our school so it's there there are a couple of those sort of high-end success stories but i guess that the stuff that warms me is when I'm walking down a high street or I'm at a festival or something and someone comes up to me and it happened last year at a little festival called Beautiful Days in Devon and this lad walked up to me and goes, Kev, bloody hell, it's Dean. <laughs> and it's, you know, this lad I worked with in Somerset in 1994, him and his sister. Wow. And I can remember Dean was on the verge of being kicked out of school and I can remember walking up with him to to Courtfield School in Wellington um, and speaking with the uh, vice principal there, who I knew, Jeff, and, and just saying, look, this this is what's going on with the lads. You need to help. We can help. And Dean wasn't excluded from school, and he's now running his own painting business in and around Somerset. Wow. And uh, so it's, it's little things. It's that, the, those timed interventions. It's about that youth worker who kept putting his face in front of mine and saying, come on, you can do something useful here. Um, And building that trust, really, um, there's lots that, you know, you can go down the county lines route and our street workers have done a lot to counter that work very closely with the police and and sort of uh, community neighbourhood policing teams and and the Safer Devon partnerships and stuff really sort of trying to provide intel about what's really going on in the streets out there. And sometimes you don't see the fruits of that work yeah we um, just gotta trust it's making a difference
0: and is is there enough evidence out there for for councils and things to realize the importance of this because the way you're describing that it's yes there is the odd example of the big obvious attributable win, but actually what we're talking about here are little a whole series of little marginal gains and nudges that that
1: stop a person tipping the wrong way i I don't think there is enough evidence out there but if if you know i pick out figures so last year we we ensured that 105 different young people did not get excluded from mainstream education were well, you yeah. you compound that 105 times how many thousands of pounds to put them in a pupil referral unit or that's you know you're looking at three four five hundred thousand pounds that's that's real money pair. that that's yeah. real savings yeah definitely um i think one of the the things that stops local authorities being able to provide more youth services is that the flimsy statutory guidance which is attached to the 2006 education inspection act that says that you know um youth service activities will be provided um outside of school hours and and, and it goes on to describe the youth work in the act and then there's a line at the bottom that says where practicable well, that, where practicable, means yeah. that it gives an out for every local authority. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, this government was going to, three years ago, strengthen the statutory guidance. It ran a consultation. I'm still yeah. assured by the DCMS that that's ongoing and something will come out soon. But unless unless a the resources are there and b the, the statute is there, your service will be seen as easy pickings in the short term. And it's in the yeah. short term that is you see things like libraries and children's centres and you, anything without a statutory covenant around it seems to get watered down. Yeah. So I want
0: to ask you now just about something else I know you're interested in, which is giving people a chance um, and not letting, you know, crippling risk aversion deny talented people the chance to help others just because they have, for example,
1: a criminal record. Well, if, um, if I wasn't given my first job because I had a criminal record, I wouldn't have been able to do some of the work that I've done, um, yeah. over the years. And yeah, we've got a lot, a lot of, we've got about 140, 150 staff at the moment. Many of them have got really valid life experience, whether it is their experience of growing up in school with dyslexia, like I've just explained, or whether it's not that they've been through the, the court system and come out the other side and have become better because of that in their eyes um and i you know i i undertook a dbs disclosure barring service um interview with a bloke in his 30s last week or the week before and this guy is really making a difference in his community um he helps out with, uh, narcotics anonymous in, in the town that he lives in. Um, he's given a lot back in, in volunteering ways. Now, when I, when I met with the guy, he had 21 different convictions. Well, wow. and initially I'm going, you know, that would, that, that's your innate, innate sort of reflex to that. But then you look, look down through all the charge sheets and you see that actually all of them were undertaken in a five-year period when he was an addict and he's not an addict now but he knows what it's like to be an addict he knows where to get support for being an addict um, and then through the conversation with him he, he explained that you know he was brought up in care in a different part of devon uh, the the home life was the home life wasn't something we we'd, we'd want to talk about in too much depth but i just thought you know this guy has the option and the opportunity to be able to really make a bit of a difference to a number of the young people that we're working with, because he's been there and done it. He'll be supervised, you know, we'll do the risk assessments. Um, but it's often those people that turn out to be those special adults that you can trust and um, yeah. build a relationship to drag yourself out of whatever ditch you're in.
0: I mean, just just to be really clear for people listening, you saw... So, well, the DBS check was turning up there, but you still offered this person a job because you could see the value that they could
1: bring. Yeah, and it's not a paid job to start with. He, he just wants to volunteer. And, um, exactly. so it'll be, it'll be volunteering a couple of sessions a night, um, sharing his skills, and he's got lots of them. You know, if it goes which wrong, great, it goes wrong. Which well. is how you
0: started, which is how you started volunteering. Exactly. So exactly. it builds from there. So just, um, Kev, um, I want to ask you a bit about the future of youth services now. So like other services, and in many cases, the impact is greater on youth services, you're seeing budget cuts. So looking back on your time leading a youth (laughs) service, dealing with commissioners, dealing with the allocation of central funding pots, which is often done in a not particularly helpful way. What should the future of youth services be? And I realize that's a very wide question, but I want to give you the opportunity
1: just to say what you think. Well, I've referred to the statutory guidance. I think, you know, young people should be entitled to youth support services wherever they live in the UK. So, um, it needs to start at the top. Um, and, you know, people need to keep lobbying for that. Um, uh, in my view, having been part of the local authority and part of the voluntary community sector, it needs to be a clear partnership, not a top-down partnership where the local Mm -hmm. authority have all the say. Um, and hand out bits of work to the voluntary and community sector but a, a proper partnership between central and local government and the wider voluntary and community sector i think um, young people would benefit immensely if um, statutory agencies could start to synchronize and work closer in partnership around their commissioning cycles and arrangements you know as a as an organization outside the local authority we get funded by the police and crime commissioner we get funded by the local authority we get part funded by some of the gp surgeries and the health environment if all that was approached freshly with um with a collaborative rather than competitive eye on it i think the resources could be there even in these sort of scantest of times that we're in now um to provide better youth services And support services to to young people wherever they are in the country so
0: i i think you touch on a very important point there which is um it's a problem across public services actually where the impact of a service actually benefits more than one funding pot or siloed service you know so you're talking there about youth services There's lots of different formal public services that youth services will impact everything from health to the work of the police and crime commissioners through to children's services. You know, there's just so much positive impact from the service. And if that commissioning could be joined up, it would save you and your colleagues an awful lot of trouble bidding for all these different funding pots. But it would also benefit all of these
1: services a lot better that's exactly right yeah and it's a big ask but so you know someone somewhere can start that ball rolling and set the proper example then um yeah system change
0: we will keep arguing for that definitely the other point I, i just wanted to pick up on as well like other services in my mind certainly like you know some parts of public health and adult social care the formal public sector is actually not best placed to be delivering these services the flexibility and um agility with which you can provide a service from a socially focused independent organization i think that's
1: incredibly powerful it is um and i think now we're we're only six years into our charity in next month actually actually it's tomorrow with six years trading
0: oh have um, a happy
1: birthday thank you and um it's I think we're about about 58 percent of our income now is local authority. And it, it was pretty well 98 percent when we started six years ago. So the fact that we've levered national and other local funding into local youth services is an example of how we can add value to the wider sector and the landscape. Um, which we couldn't really do in the local authority, but local authorities have got such a key role to play. And I think, you know, if they could start dismantling some of their silos around education, social care, communities, um, then, then that could be the start of the journey that's needed.
0: I think that's exactly right, Kevin. Your point there about funding sources is really important. Is that I know that, um, for a lot of organizations that have moved out of the formal public sector, that graph of doom is the key thing. So if you'd stayed in the council, then it's really only council funding, which is going down, which you, you would have been reliant on, but actually becoming independent and having, you know, especially being a charity and being able to access, you know, all those different funding pots and being able to offer services to different public service commissioners as well, you can more than top up that gap with with other funding sources so in a sense you're you're artificially engineering the joining up of funding
1: pots but it's a, it's a lot of work for you and your team it, it is and you know i th- i think the other thing you you asked me earlier about how we um expanded outside of devon and we we get funded by organizations outside of devon as well now i think the important thing is to however difficult it is with your resourcing situation don't deviate from your values and your mission um and the amount of contracts we've said no to because they're just not feasible or they just don't align with the way we, we we want to be um working with young people yeah and i think if you know holding on to your own sort of sense of value and worth in your part of the landscape is really important and not being dragged off to, to chase the money, which some, unfortunately, some, even some public service mutuals that I know of have done over the last eight, nine years. Um, that Do you know that, that's,
0: a, that's a really good point. And it's something we try and adhere to at mutual ventures as well, where we we, we have a very clear mission and a very clear set of values. And we do try very, very hard to target the work that fits with that. And you know, when times are tough, it's 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 hard. I'll admit that. But we're largely successful doing that. But it's it's a really good point. And I, I guess we're we're getting into my last question now. Really, you're talking about sticking to your values, and this might be one of your answers to this question. But um, as a last question, which uh, and this is something I ask everybody: What bit of advice would you give to someone? working in the public sector or in a charity or social enterprise, who wants to make an impact in the way that you have?
1: Um, I think, first off, trust yourself. Yeah. You know, you, your own radar has got you to where you are, and there's a reason for that. I think fail fast and learn, then go again. Yeah. So keep trying things. You get as much learning out of failing at something as, as you do succeeding out of it. I think pick any battles carefully because there's so many battles you could be fighting out there. But just be careful about which ones you you put your energy into. And I guess for myself and my staff group, our staff group, keep reflecting and seek seeking critical feedback from the people that use your services, the people that pay for your services, the people that work alongside you, the general public, um, other agencies, Keep actively seeking out that feedback because, um, A, in my experience, it gives you a boost, but it actually gives you some clear pointers for how to make yeah. yourself even better as an organization.
0: So something you said at the start there was about trusting yourself. So I, I guess I want to ask you, at what point in your career did you learn to trust yourself? Because, I'm questioning myself still and just about decisions that I make as part of my job at Mutual Ventures and things and and I, I can tell from the conversations we've had that that you are you you know your subject matter inside out you know what the right thing to do is and clearly even when a commissioner is saying something probably I can imagine you in a conversation with a commissioner where where they're saying something that you don't that you think isn't right you, you're not just going to go with what they say you know that you know what you're talking about at what point in your career did you did you learn to trust yourself coming back to my
1: original question okay well i'll I'll give you the micro and the macro so right. when i was a practitioner if i was in child protection meetings and i was hearing stuff that actually was i knew was not going to benefit the young person um I would speak out and often became very unpopular about that. But I trusted that the young person's relationship with me is why I was in that room. And I had to advocate for them, even if it didn't fit neatly. So trusting yourself as a practitioner, that's one thing. And the second thing is, you know, in 2014, they were going to wipe out the youth service in Devon. And it was a debilitating period for... At that time, 200 plus staff and, and myself. And I trusted myself to go to the leader of the council and the chief exec and knock on their doors and say, you've got it wrong here. And this is some of the evidence. But, um, and talk them to a position whereby they could have a different delivery model, still get the benefits. Um, and that, that's, that was a big step. Um, but that, that was, if I didn't trust in myself and trust in, in the work we were doing, I would never have had the courage to do that.
0: Yeah. Kev, that's been a fantastic conversation. I've enjoyed it a lot. Many thanks for your time. Thanks, Andrew. Cheers. Well, I hope everyone listening has a much better understanding now of the power of a really well run, effective youth service and, think some of the things that Kev has achieved in Devon and now outside of Devon are really remarkable and and I wish him all the best in his retirement but I really hope he he stays involved there's a couple of things I wanted to pick out Um, the whole point about listening to young people's voice but not just doing what they ask for or providing what they ask for you know having a proper discussion to really reach an agreed position on what a young person needs rather than just what they want. And I think that's the real skill because it is all too easy just to either make the decision yourself and impose it or just go along with whatever whatever someone says. So the real skill there is having that conversation to agree what's really needed. I also think what space has achieved and what space is able to do is a perfect example of how the formal public sector is not always the best model for delivering frontline public services. So commissioning, yes, but if you look at what space can do, it was uh, a service within the council with a reducing budget, but now it's outside of the council. It can attract funding from other, other places. It can bring different pools of funding together and have them join up and operate as a really coherent, effective service, which is just really hard to do within the public sector. So I think it's a perfect example of how councils, in particular, working in partnership with local third-sector organisations, is a real recipe for success in terms of effective local public services. The final point I want to make is about the power of storytelling in public services. So Kev, in the interview that you've just listened to, Had a number of stories, anecdotes about people whose life chances have been improved through interaction with the youth service. This is really important. And a colleague of mine at Mutual Ventures, John Copps, has just run a webinar with a number of public service leaders on the power of storytelling in public services. So I would recommend listening to that webinar, but also just reflect on why Kevin's words were so impactful when you were listening to them. It's because of the link to real life and real people's stories and we can all relate to that and that's how we all internalize things really so that's everything for this episode thank you so much for your time and don't forget to follow on wherever you get your podcasts and uh yep look forward to seeing you next time